0: Well, if you have been with us for a little bit or haven't been with us, we are going through our series in the book, a book of Judges. And we have titled this series, When God is Not King. And we will be in Judges 13, 14, and 15 today. So if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, One of our lovely ushers will uh, hand you one if you want a physical uh, hard copy of that Bible. And if you've also been with us, you've seen this slide and also the video behind me. Uh, This cycle that we've seen in the book of Judges, that the people of God, when they disobey God, they are then punished and oppressed by their enemies. Then they are, after some time, they cry out and then God saves them through a judge. And then they have this time of peace. You know, but as we go and progress through the book of Judges... Cycle after cycle, judge after judge, the Israelites continually fail to obey God and cast out the foreign nations that he had commanded them originally. Instead, if you look at each cycle, you see less and less years of peace, more disobedience from Israel, and worse and worse off judges. You know, take a look at this chart behind me. You know, in the book of Judges, there are a total of six major judges, the first three Uh, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah were very good judges. And they allowed peace for 160 years. But when we get to Gideon, Jephthah, and finally Samson, you begin to see some issues. Gideon builds a religious idol after God delivers Israel. Then his son Abimelech kills all his brothers and makes himself judge. Then we get to Jephthah, as Kenson shared last Sunday. He sacrifices his own daughter after making a foolish vow. And the years of rest start to decrease drastically than before. So today, we get to probably the most famous judge, Samson. And though many of us have heard Sunday school lessons or even seen maybe the movie Samson, we think of his mighty strength and his mighty victory. But in the book of Judges, we see a different story, I believe. And so we'll be, as I said, in chapter 13 through 15, keep your hand on that page in the house Bible, which is page 213. It's a lot of text, so we're going to be kind of doing like a 3,000-foot level of seeing this story and kind of how it applies to us in our lives. But before that, let me start with prayer. God, we thank you for your word this morning and the story, uh, the beginning parts of Samson. And God, we just pray that as we kind of dive into this story a little bit and see this story, I pray that you may not... Help us just to see it from afar, but to understand that it is possibly working within us, and that it also is a depiction of our own hearts as well. And so, God, may it be Your word that's proclaimed, not mine. May You open up our hearts, our ears, to receive what You have for us today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You know, when I was in a fifth grade, our school had um, a yo-yo. You know, the, the things that kind of you goes like this and it goes down. A yo-yo master, come and do an assembly for our class. He did all these tricks and all these talents, and they were completely mesmerizing for all the students, and it pretty much left us all speechless. And at the end, he lets us know that this same talent could be harnessed by purchasing the yo-yos that he was using that day and the company that he represented. And so, of course, I go home and I beg my mom for a yo-yo. But because we didn't have enough money growing up, uh, she told me that, you know, Noah, it's your birthday like next week. I'll let you buy it as your birthday gift. And so uh, I agree, and I buy the most expensive yo-yo. I open the package, and I try to unlock the potential, but it wouldn't spin, like, correctly for me. And so I kind of open it up, I try to mess around with it, and to my utter demise, as I open it and as I kind of cut something off, I break (laughs) the entire yo-yo. It is unusable after that time. What an expensive yo-yo it really was. But at that moment, I see it bro- it's, it's broken, and I can't use it, and I am so utterly devastated as a fifth grader. I had destroyed my only birthday gift, and I think I honestly cried that day. A few weeks later, uh, we go to a toy store because my brother, my younger brother, his birthday is only a week after mine, and I see all the action figures, all the games that are there, but I know deep down in my heart that I wasted my chance of getting my birthday gift, and I would not get a birthday gift at that toy store that day. So my brother, he chooses this, I remember this Animorph Transformer uh, action figure, and as we get to the register, my mom reaches out Another one of those Animorph Transformer action figures puts it on the registry belt and tells me, you know, I know you really wanted this. Here is your new birthday gift. (laughs) I think I cried again at that moment as well. (laughs) You know, as we enter into our story in chapter 13, uh, we witness a people who have destroyed multiple yo-yos, multiple gifts. By destroying the only grace and gift that God was giving to them. Year, I mean, years after years, they're judges. They have disobeyed God and they disobeyed his laws. And so look with me in chapter 13 and verse 1. It's actually page 2, yeah, 213, 213. The first verse, it reads, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. You know, if you go back to the cycle of Judges, notice what's missing here. Israel is now enslaved, but unlike before, there is no crying out for help. They did not cry out for help. The Israelites were so deep in their sin and disobedience that they actually didn't mind being ruled by the Philistines. They were becoming so entrenched in the evil practices of other foreign nations that they did not think they needed any saving. Instead of being God's chosen and holy nation, they're becoming more like the very nations God originally commanded them to destroy. So what does God do? Let's now look at verse 3 of the same chapter. And here's a few verses. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, "Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You know, unlike any other judge in the book of Judges, chapter 13 tells us that a miracle child will be used by God to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Think like Neo from the Matrix or Anakin Skywalker from Star Wars, if you know that movie as well. He will be the chosen one. What's even more amazing about this birth story is that it strongly resembles the birth story of Isaac and even later on of Jesus. There is a messenger that comes down. There's a promised child and the hope that this child will grow up and deliver Israel. So as we hear Samson's origin story, there's so much anticipation. There's so much hope that this child will be the best judge in the history of judges. But as we make kind of like our first pit stop and kind of look at this story a little bit, why does God promise this child for people who are so blind and not even knowing that they needed to be saved? Why does God intervene when he has already given Israel Multiple and multiple second chances over and over again. Why does God do that? Well, it's because of his undeserved grace. Because of God's undeserved grace. You know, in this origin story of Samson, we see nothing but God's immense and overwhelming grace for his disobedient children. Though they didn't cry out, he was still willing to work behind the scenes to rescue them. Like when I had destroyed my only birthday gift and fully deserved no gift in return, my mom showed me an undeserved grace to give me something I fully knew I didn't deserve. In the same way, God's grace is so much bigger and radical than a small action figure. He was willing to intervene and set up a promised child to save them from oppression and set his people free. Church, How big is your view of God's grace? How big is your view of God's grace? You know, for many of us here today, our view of God's grace is small. Some of us believe that our mistakes you made in the past make you undeserving of God's grace. Or others of you might even believe that because others judge you, others think less of you, that God would judge you in that same way. And that God's grace is too small to save you, to love you, and to care for you. You know, in the song um, "How He Loves," written by John McMillan, a line in there always humbles me when I hear it. It says, "If His grace is an ocean, we're all sinking." Church, imagine that for a second, taking a dive in the ocean, water surrounding you, and the, rea- and the reality is, is that many of us are still holding our breath. And not letting the intensity of God's undeserved grace overwhelm us today. Trust me, you won't drown. Instead, you will see just how big, how awesome and mighty God's grace really is. But now as we go back into the story, in chapter 14 and 15, after just hearing this amazing potential and amazing gift of Samson and grace of God... We probably expect that Samson would be this morally upright leader and lead Israel to this mighty victory against the Philistines. But like many of you know this story, it does not seem to go that way. Let's go to chapter 14 now and start with me in verse 1 and I'll kind of read a few of the verses here. It reads, Samson went down to Timnah and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Jump down to verse 7. And again, then he went down and talked with the woman. And she was right in Samson's eyes. You know, if you could summarize chapter 14 and 15 in the book of Judges, it would probably be this phrase that is repeated in verse 3 and in verse 7. Samson did what whatever was right in his own eyes. Or literally in the Hebrew it reads, whatever pleased his own eyes. Instead of getting the promised judge to deliver Israel from their oppression and sins... We get a character that has one of the longest laundry lists of deliberate acts of disobedience against God's command. Instead of stewarding this superhuman strength that's strong enough to rip open a lot, the jaw of a lion and using it to serve God and others, he takes and he disobeys. You know, follow along. I'm not going to be reading the entire chapters here, but follow along this laundry list of what leads to Samson's downward spiral. First, in chapter 14, verse 1, he takes a daughter of the enemy. You know, the same people he was supposed to defeat. Now, just to give some helpful context here, the people of Israel were commanded not to marry foreign people. Not because God was against other ethnic groups, but o- but only when marrying them would infect their faith and turn their hearts away from God. You see in scripture, there are many good other foreign marriages that happen, like Rahab, Ruth, and all that. But in this case he was disobeying God. Second, in chapter 14, verse 4, he directly disobeys his parents and makes them listen to him rather than him listening to them. Third, he disobeys his Nazarite vow. You know, the Nazarite vow, which I read earlier, was given to Samson by God himself. So he could be pure and righteous to do God's work. But Samson deliberately indulges in wine in verse 5 and then in verse 9, he eats a sweet honey from a dead carcass. Fourth, in chapter 14 and verse 19, he takes 30 pieces of clothes by killing innocent men just because he lost a bed. Fifth, when we go to chapter 15, he takes personal all by by ruining the Philistine's crops and killing Philistine yeah. men all by himself. And sixth and last, towards the end of chapter 15, he takes credit after defeating a thousand Philistine men all by himself with a fresh jawbone of a donkey, not a dry one, a fresh one, all by himself. And in this progressive downward spiral that Samson goes on, Samson was not led with the thirst to obey God's command or do God's will, but he was led with the thirst to satisfy whatever human craving he felt that day. He was led by lust. He was led by disrespect, anger, and personal gain. And what Samson represents here in these stories is actually the same downward spiral that entire people of Israel are going through in the entire book of Judges. You know, look with me in chapter 15, verse 11. Chapter 15, verse 11. It reads Then, thir- then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the rocks of Etham and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And Samson said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. Just in this verse, We see just how blind Israel is and also how blind Samson is. Israel is so blind to their sin that they are willing to hand over their only hope and their leader in Samson to the Philistines. They are essentially rejecting God's very promise and gift to them and have Samson as their leader. They should have told Samson to lead them, not give him over to the Philistines as a prisoner. But Samson isn't much better. His response to them almost sounds like what a five-year-old boy would say when he punches back his younger brother for hitting him. As he did to me, so have I done to him or to them. Samson is so caught up in getting his personal revenge, he forgets to lead the people to deliverance. But he leads them just into his own personal gain and personal victory. Rather than using his mighty gifts and grace that God gave to him, he pursued whatever was right in his own eyes. And to top it all off, never once did Samson credit God, ask God for his advice, or rally the troops together like the other judges. At the end of chapter 15, we see Samson sitting at the top of the hill, basking in his glory beneath a thousand dead men, singing a song to himself about his victory, with not a single mention of Israel's rest or victory, or not a single mention about God. Instead, in verse 18, he complains to God because he's thirsty. This is the last judge of Israel. You know, as we kind of take uh, a second pit stop, it's tempting to read the story of Samson as this mighty victor who defeated the Philistines because of his massive head count. But in the eyes of God, grace, the grace given for Samson to deliver Israel was squandered. Israel squanders the grace God gave them through the power and might of Samson by rejecting him and handing him over to the enemies. Samson squanders that same grace that God gave to him, his superhuman strength and speed, and instead of using it for God's glory and his people, he uses his strength for his own personal desires and his own self-glory. Instead of obeying God, he ignores God. Instead of leading his community, he leads himself as a lone ranger. Instead of killing for deliverance, he kills for vengeance and sport. And the great hope that was in chapter 13, it has been squandered. And when we step back, it's hard not to just shake our heads and tell ourselves, wow, what a waste of potential. How could Samson be so foolish and wasteful with this incredible gift? But church, I have a question for you. Do we also squander the grace that God has given to us? Do we waste our gifts God has given to us? You know, for example, take the simple illustration of time. We all have 24 hours in the day. And if you put it in a pie chart, how much time do you spend for God, for others, and for yourself? Do you spend more time being distracted by posts online or TV shows, or in God's Word and in prayer? Do you spend your time off work indulging in activities that make you comfortable and entertained, or do you spend that time investing in others and loving your neighborhood and your community? You know, you can look at this pie chart behind me and you can throw up anything, you can throw up money. What is spent on you versus others and God? Or take your talents, your skills, and even your jobs. Is it for yourself, your paycheck, your self-ego? Or do you use it for God's kingdom or for your customers and for others? How about your materials, your home, your car, your clothes, your food? Are we squandering these gifts given to us from God? Or are we stewarding them for God and for his people? You know, now to clarify, I'm not trying to guilt trip you or say that using your gifts should only be used for others in God. You definitely can use them for yourself. We are called to enjoy what God gives. But what I am saying is that it's incredibly easy for us and convenient for us to waste our gifts on ourselves. Just like how Samson used his gifts to benefit his own desires. In church, I have some bad news for all of you. There is not a single person in this room that has not wasted or squandered the gifts that God has given to you. You know, in Paul's trip devotional, New Morning Mercies, which I know some of you are actually reading right now, it speaks to the heart of what I believe Samson was going through and that we currently go through. It's behind me on the screen, too. What is the thing that kidnaps us all? It is the selfishness of sin. The idol of idols really is the idol of self. We make it all about us. We put ourselves in the center of the story. We evaluate life from the vantage point of a scary and tragic meism. We pull the borders of our concerns into the narrow confines of what we want, what we feel, what we dream, and what we think we need. A good day is a day that is pleasurable or easy for me. A good circumstance is one in which I get my way. A good marriage is one in which my spouse becomes a servant to my dream for my life. A good church has the worship programs and preaching that satisfy me. A good job is one that keeps me happy and engaged. It is a life shaped by a shrunken kingdom of one. You know, all of us have squandered the gifts, the talents, and even the greatest grace of all, the message of Jesus Christ, and used them for our own benefit. Our own comfort in our own kingdoms of one. And if you look throughout the entire Bible, not a single person, even the great Moses and King David, were unable to properly handle the grace and gifts God gave to them. They all failed and we will too. Because the sin in each one of us entraps us every second of our life to be unable to fully serve God and fully serve and love God. One another. So, church, is there any good news here? Is there any good news for us? There is actually great news. About a thousand years later, after Samson, there would be another miracle child story. He would be born at a time when Israel was also oppressed by a different enemy, and he would be promised to deliver not only Israel, but all humanity from their captivity. Like Samson, he would be blessed. He would pursue holiness, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. But unlike Samson, he would not squander his grace or the gift bestowed upon him. You see, he came down from heaven, humbled himself, lived among men, cared for the hurting, healed the sick, and proclaimed the kingdom of God. But instead of pursuing his own appetites, disobeying God's word, or seeking personal revenge against his enemy, He would choose to save and deliver all humanity, not by killing, but by dying for them. Instead of grabbing the donkey's jawbone, he picked up an old rugged cross and died a death that he did not deserve. And in three days when all hope seemed lost, death would not have the final word. Grace would not be squandered. it would rise in victory and in the resurrection of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Jesus would not defeat Israel's physical enemies. He would defeat humanity's eternal eternal enemy. Jesus would kill the depravity, the evil, the sin and the death that lived in all of us so that when we who believe in him can be freed from all the captivity of sin, death, and the idol of selfishness that plagues the heart of samson and that also plagues the heart of us church we were all given this undeserved grace but like samson we squander this grace for our own gain however the good news the great news is that through Jesus' death and resurrection grace still reigns grace still reigns in him And if you believe in him, now it reigns in all of you. So when we are found in Jesus, we do not do whatever pleases our eyes or satisfies our desires. But there is a new compass that points to his glory and to love one another. You know, listen to how Paul Tripp ends his devotional. It's behind me again. But the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God confronts us with the inscapable reality that it is not all about us they confront us with the truth that life comes from is controlled by and exists for another we will never be at the center because god is it will never be about us because it's about him our will won't be done because it's his will will be done we won't rule because he rules he is at center stage he is the spotlight character life is not found in putting ourselves at the center That only leads to dysfunction, disappointment, and brokenness. Jesus came to decimate our misplaced loyalty so that we would find freedom from our bondage to ourselves and know the peace that passes all understanding. You know, though Samson failed as a judge, the irony is that God still used him to accomplish his work. And that same good news applies to us, that God, through his grace, uses imperfect people like us to do his perfect will because Jesus lives in us through us. Amen, church? So what can we do practically? I just have two simple things. The first thing is repent. You know, all of us are guilty of using our gifts and our grace for our own advantage. We are like Samson, whether we like it or not. Repenting is when you come to Jesus Confess that you have made a mistake, turning from your selfish ways and trusting in the grace that God has given to us. And in repentance, God will forgive you and he will empower you to serve him and serve others. And the second thing is be available to serve God and others. Be available to serve God and others. You know, for some of us, we have many gifts and many resources that can be used for God's kingdom and to benefit others. Whether it is in your resources, your jobs, or your talents, have those available to serve God, to make him known and to serve others. But maybe for others in here, perhaps you don't believe you have many gifts. Maybe you believe that your gifts aren't really that good after all. The beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't care about the specific gifts or ability you have he cares if you are simply available so that he can use you. Perhaps it's being available to listen and love your neighbor or coworker. Perhaps it's being available to volunteer your time in praying for others or loving others in your community. Perhaps it is being available to offer help to those in the church or those who are suffering or who are in need. As long as you are willing and available, God will always be able to use you for his work and for his glory. You know, let's go home with this one. You know, as a mobile church here, as we meet in Armour Elementary School, many of you know that we have to set up everything around us and tear down everything on every single Sunday. The chairs, the curtains, the musical equipment, and the children materials upstairs. You know, sadly, it doesn't magically come and appear here and magically disappear when school year starts. We have volunteers every week called Pit Crew who lead that effort. But every team needs a leader. And we have a leader, we had a leader named Tony Siciliano, uh, our fearless leader who offered to step in and lead this team when in the beginning we started as a church and we didn't have anyone to lead this team. And as you all know, Tony, he is a solid guy, trust me, he is a solid guy. But to be honest, we know that Tony doesn't have the same strength or speed like a Samson would or he is like a master builder, like in the Lego movie, if you know what I'm talking about. He, like most of us, are ordinary. But when Tony saw a need in pit crew, he was available. Even when there were some uh, budget cuts to uh, roll back some of the part-time roles here at Park, Tony was the first one to volunteer himself to not be paid. Yet he still came in every Sunday, organized all the volunteers to lead the pit crew team so that we could be here for church on Sunday and then close it down so that the school can meet here during the school year. Though, Though every time he would come, he sacrificed his time and made himself simply available. Though this is the first week he has actually officially stepped down, though I still saw him serving today, Almost every single week, he was faithfully here to do his job. And to be honest, it doesn't really get much recognition as well. You know, church, this is a beautiful picture of exactly what it means to just be available. Not to get credit, not to be seen, but to always give God the glory and serve one another in love and in grace. At the end of the day, the willingness to be available, it doesn't come from Tony. It doesn't come from us but it comes from the grace that God gives to each one of us. So church, the good news is that no matter what gift you have, we who are in Jesus all have the grace to be available people so that we don't squander the grace given to us, but put it on display for God to be glorified and for us to love one another. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for today, this hot and humid day. God, we thank you for your goodness and grace and your grace that is like an ocean and that we are all still sinking. And God, I pray that you may forgive us of our own sin of squandering the grace given to us. But God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his work on the cross that we will ultimately boast in him and him alone. And so God, now we are able to live out that grace. And so God, empower us, lead us, allow us to use the grace and the gift that you have gave to us to love you, to honor you, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.